Stay with us following this week's Crosswalk for information on Pastor Clay's new book, I Get It, Discovering How to Really Live in the Promises of God. Growing in God's Word and learning how to take up our cross and follow Jesus, this is Crosswalk with Pastor Clay Stevens from Cross Culture Church in Raleigh. When Jesus' disciples entered what we refer to as the upper room, they thought they knew exactly what was going to happen. They thought they knew exactly why they were there and what it was all about. But before the night was over, they are going to discover something very, very different. The Lord's Supper. It's one of the most important and meaningful acts that a local church conducts. It is a physical reminder of the sacrifice that Jesus Christ made on our behalf. But how much do you know about that first Lord's Supper with Jesus and his disciples in the upper room? The Passover meal was a joyous occasion. It was a celebration of deliverance from slavery. It was a celebration of the faithfulness of God. And talk about a mood killer. When into the midst of that joyous occasion, Jesus drops this bomb. One of y'all are going to betray me. Hello and welcome to Crosswalk. As we continue our series, Jesus, the Real Action Hero, we come to the night before Jesus' arrest. Jesus and his disciples were in Jerusalem for the Passover. And as Pastor Clay is going to explain today, the Passover was a celebration of the Jews' deliverance from slavery in Egypt. But as they celebrated that occasion, Jesus initiated a new practice that would commemorate the deliverance of all of us from slavery to sin. Now here's Pastor Clay. Hey, how about that Super Bowl, huh? <laughs> you know, you got to admit, if you watched it at all, it was, it was crazy, wasn't it? It was really exciting in the end. And one of the things uh, that was unusual about this uh, Super Bowl was, uh, of course, the way it finished. But what was unusual about that, everybody in that stadium and every, all the millions or billions, whatever, of people watching on television, everybody knows how it's going to turn out. Or thinks they know how it's going to turn out, right? Marshawn Lynch is going to get the ball. He's going to bust the... Yeah, he's a beast. He's going to bust through the line. They hadn't stopped him all night. There's no reason to think they were going to stop him then. And he was going to score. Seahawks are going to win 31-28. That, that was... Every, I mean, once you saw that catch and they're right there and they thought, well, this... It's like they're a team of destiny. This has got to happen. They're going to give the ball to Marshawn Lynch and he's going to score and they're going to win the game. Right? But that's not how it turned out. Everybody knew what was going to happen or thought they knew. When Jesus' disciples entered what we refer to as the upper room, what we're going to read about today, when they entered that upper room, they thought they knew exactly what was going to happen. They thought they knew exactly why they were there and what it was all about. But before the night was over, they're going to discover something very, very different. A very different result than what they probably assumed was going to happen when they went in that room that night. I'm so glad y'all are here today. I really am honored. uh, And I I believe the Lord is pleased when people come out into his house. And I think of those words where Jesus told his disciples, go out into the highways and the hedges and compel them to come in that my house might be full. We got some work to do on that end, don't we? And and I know we work out. I know we try. I know if y'all are like me, probably invite people and and you get discouraged sometimes when they don't come, but, but, but that's, our, that's our task, right? Glad to do it. Hey, you know why? Do you know why? Because I don't have to go to church. That's right, I get to go to church. Open your Bibles to Mark chapter 14. All right, Clay, get off of that, that's enough. Mark chapter 14, open your Bibles. 
the text is going to be up on the screen as well. But I'm going to be reading uh, this morning. Let's see, where are we? Here we go. We're going to be reading in verses 12 through 26 of Mark chapter 14. So uh, we're pushing through Mark 14. Be done with it here in pretty short order. Uh, but uh, Mark chapter 14 records what you'll see as a moment, but as, as you might surmise, uh, that we're, we're, we came to a place in the text and in the timing, it just worked out well for us as a church this morning to uh, commemorate uh, the Lord's sacrifice for us, and as John said this morning, in a very visual way, in a, in a very material way, uh, through this, this ordinance uh, known as the Lord's Supper. I want to say to you, as I try to remember to say each time, because we have guests that come in and people sometimes are unsure, uh, you know, is this thing just for members of this church or whatever else? And I always tell people that this uh, this is the Lord's Supper. It doesn't belong to any of us. It is the Lord's Supper. And for people that have a relationship with Jesus Christ in 1 Corinthians 11, or they're living according to, as best they know how, they're living according to God's will for their life. Then you are invited this morning in a little while to come and partake of the elements of the bread and the wine uh, as an as a act, as a, as a demonstration of what Christ has done uh, for you. So, everybody okay? You, you got that? Yeah. All right. Mark 14. What verse are we starting in? All right. Good. Here we go. On the first day of unleavened bread, when the Passover lamb was being sacrificed, his disciples said to him, where do you want us to go and prepare for you to eat the Passover? And he sent two of his disciples and said to them, Go into the city, and a man will meet you carrying a pitcher of water. Follow him. And wherever he enters, say to the owner of the house, The teacher says, Where is my guest room in which I may eat the Passover with my disciples? And he himself will show you a large upper room, furnished and ready. Prepare for us there. Disciples went out. And came to the city and found it just as he had told them, and they prepared the Passover. When it was evening, he came with the twelve, and they were reclining at the table and eating. Jesus said, Truly I say to you that one of you will betray me, one who is eating with me. And they began to be grieved and to say to him one by one, Surely not I. And he said to them, it is one of the twelve, one who dips with me in the bowl. For the Son of Man is to go just as it is written of him, but woe to that man by whom the Son of Man is betrayed. Listen to this. It would have been good for that man if he had not been born. While they were eating, he uh, took some bread and after a blessing, he broke it and gave it to them and, and said, take, eat, this is my body. And when he had taken a cup and given thanks, he gave it to them, and they all drank from it. And he said to them, This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many. Truly, I say to you, I will never again drink of the fruit of the vine until that day when I drank it new in the kingdom of God. And after singing a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. A few uh, just ideas that I want to share with you this morning from this this uh, really kind of a sacred story of, of this, what was the first Lord's Supper, and it was, in fact, the last supper uh, for Jesus. I'm going to share some ideas with you this morning, and we're going to start uh, with this one. Uh, Jesus gives a, what I believe is a divine 
demonstration in verses 12 through 16. It's a divine demonstration in here. And I'll explain, hopefully in a minute, why that is. But just, just to make sure that we're all on the same page, okay? Jesus and his disciples are in Jerusalem uh, to celebrate the Passover. The Passover was just that. It was a celebration that, the, that Jewish families, Jewish individuals, the nation of Israel had been uh, participating in, had been uh, recognizing and observing for, uh, well, by the time Jesus, by the time of Jesus, it's been probably at least, at least 15 to, to 1700 years since the time of, of the first Passover, which was a, a, an observance of the deliverance of Israel out of Egypt. Egypt been in slavery for a long time, right? 400 years. And y'all know the story. God sends Moses down there to Pharaoh and he says, let my people go. And Pharaoh says no. And he sends this plague and that plague and this plague and, and that plague. And finally, uh, God sent the final, the last plague. And, and Pharaoh let Egypt or let Israel go out of Egypt that night. Y'all remember that story? According to Exodus chapter 12, the meal that they, they were participating in, because that's what, that's what they've been doing now for year after year, for, for at least a millennium and a half, the people of Israel, the Jewish people, every year have been commemorating that deliverance out of Egypt. At least for a millennium and a half back in the days of Jesus. So we're talking 3,500 years plus now that they and the Jewish people still observe Passover today. According to Exodus chapter 12, the meal consisted of a lamb that, that they roasted and they ate. But the lamb represented the lamb that was sacrificed the night Egypt, uh, Israel left Egypt. Uh, and again, if you remember the story or if it's new to you, uh, a lamb was sacrificed. They, they, they cooked it and ate it. But the blood of the lamb was taken and it was painted on the, on the doorpost and over the doorframe of the houses of the people of Israel. It was a demonstration. God said, do this. In faith, believing that I will protect you, and so they took the blood and they painted it on the doorpost and they on the doorframe. And that night, the death angel passed over those homes and struck the homes of the Egyptians. And so, uh, each year, the fa- the families would would uh, would eat lamb as part of the Passover meal. The Passover meal also contained uh, what is referred to as unleavened bread. It was bread that 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 did not have leaven in it. And so, in other words, it was bread that did not, it, it didn't rise. It was, just, it was just flat, unrisen bread. It pictured the fact that, that when God moved, he mo- it moved suddenly and the people left Egypt that very night. And so they didn't have time to let the bread rise. No t- time for that. You're going to eat unleavened bread. And the meal contained bitter herbs, which represented their bitter years of slavery. In Egypt, so the the day comes, the time comes, and uh, Jesus' disciples say to him, "Where where do you want us to go to prepare the Passover meal that we c- can eat it together?" And Jesus sends two of his disciples into into town, and Jesus performs what I believe is a divine uh, demonstration of of who he is. Now, Luke chapter 22 tells us specifically that it was Peter and John that he sent into town. Hey, don't miss the significance of that. I believe there's significance in that in the fact that Peter and John, 
clearly you, you, you can't help but read the New Testament and come away with the fact that Peter and John are pretty much the, they're pretty much the leaders of the disciples. You know what I'm saying? And yet Jesus sends them to basically set the table for all the rest of the disciples. I think there's a great lesson in that because it reminds all of us that none of us are any better than any of us. One of the, one of the foundational principles of cross-culture church is that from the very beginning, it was our intention that we were going to be a church that, that served, that we were going to be a church that thought of others before we thought of ourselves. We, 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 we serve God, we serve our community, and we serve one another. I think that's a very biblical principle. And so anyway... Uh, Jesus says to the disciples, go into town, and when you get into town, you'll meet a man, you'll see a man carrying a water pot, a water pitcher, a water jar, follow him. Now that in itself, at least as I understand it, would be unusual. Because even though the man uh, apparently is a servant, as I understand it, the, the carrying of, the, of water was normally something that, that women did. And so apparently it was kind of unusual that a man would be carrying a, a water pot. Jesus said, you'll find that man, you'll follow that man, you follow him wherever he goes, Jesus says. And when he goes into a house, you'll go into that house and you will say to the master, to the owner of that house, the teacher says, where is the room where I can, can celebrate the Passover with my disciples? Now, some people have said, and I'll get to the point in a minute, okay? Y'all with me? You're hanging on every word. Some people have said, well, you know, maybe there's nothing really divine about this. Or maybe there's nothing supernatural about this at all. Maybe, maybe Jesus had just made arrangements, and that is discussed, that people do that. Maybe Jesus had simply made arrangements beforehand, and, and it's already all set up. I don't think so. I don't think so. Because for one thing, it means that that if Jesus had prearranged all this and set all this up, it means that Jesus has arranged some sort of secret code thing, right, with the, with the owner of the house. Now, send your, send your servant out with a pitcher of water on his head, and I'll send mine in, and when they see that, they'll... It just doesn't sound like something Jesus would do. You, you know what I'm saying? For another thing, verse 16 seems to, seems to be implying that there was something different, that, that, that this was more than just a natural occurrence. Verse 16, it says... And the disciples went out and came to the city and found it just as he had told them. Why even say that if it had already all been prearranged? Do you know what I'm saying? Of course they would have found it just as he had told them if, if he had prearranged it. For another thing, from what Jesus says, it seems pretty clear that Peter and John knew nothing about this place. So in other words, they had never been there. It's not a place that the disciples had used before. And they'd been to Jerusalem on other occasions. They'd never used this room before. It's clear that Peter and John have never been to this room. And so you're left thinking, well, at what point did Jesus sneak off and make these arrangements and none of the other disciples would know about it? And for another thing, if this is just a natural occurrence, if Jesus just prearranged all this and he just said, hey, go, why waste the ink on it in the first place? Why go through the whole deal about look for a guy carrying a pitcher of water, follow him wherever he goes, say to the master? Why even tell that whole story? Why not just say, and arrangements had been made for them to celebrate the Passover meal together? Do you know what I'm saying? I think that there is a divine demonstration going on here. Okay. All right, Clay. Back off. We get it. We get it. Divine demonstration. Supernatural act. What's the point? The point is this. 
Listen to me. Don't think for a second that God is not in full control of this situation. Don't think for a second that Jesus doesn't know exactly what is going on and that he is not in full control of this situation. See, Jesus didn't, Jesus didn't just stumble onto the cross. Jesus didn't, didn't get himself in political hot water and somehow ended up getting himself killed. No, Jesus was fulfilling what the promises and the prophecies had been for thousands of years. And even in this simple act of, of divine demonstration, even a simple act of his supernatural powers to, 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 know, to say, here's what you're going to find, here's what you go and do. It is demonstrating that, that Jesus is in control and that things are coming to pass exactly as he has planned for them to come to pass. Now listen to me. That, that obviously has uh, implications for, for our salvation. It always obviously has uh, significance for our eternal salvation, Right? I'll save some of those comments for a minute. But listen, it also has significance for just our daily condition. Listen to me. Whatever you need in life, I, I need to know somebody loves me. I, I, I'm, I, I'm, I'm lonely. I, I need to know somebody cares about me. I, I, need, I need help dealing with this anger that I can't seem to let go of. I need provision for my family. Whatever it is, listen to me. Here's, it's just anything and everything, God can do all things. That, that, that's what I'm saying. It, there, there's significance for just our daily condition. Oh, I don't, I don't know how this is going to work out. I don't know how we're going to pay the bills. I don't know how uh, th- this is going to happen or that's going to happen. I, I'm just telling you, anything and everything, God can do all things. And you see it even in this divine demonstration, even in something so simple as preparing a room and making sure that the elements are there for the Passover meal. Okay, let me give you a second uh, idea this morning. It looks like this. Jesus shares what I call a tragic revelation. Listen, verse 17. When it was evening, he came with the twelve They're reclining at the table and eating. Jesus said, truly, I say to you that one of you will betray me, one who is eating with me. And they began to be grieved and to say to him one by one, surely not I. And he said to them, it is one of the twelve, one who dips with me in the bowl. For the Son of Man is going to go just as it is written of him. But woe to that man by whom the Son of Man is betrayed. It would have been better, it would have been good for that man if he had not been born. Jesus and the disciples uh, come in and they are participating in the Passover meal. Remember, the disciples went up. They, they, didn't, they didn't know anything about this whole Lord's Supper is going to come out of it. They went up there just thinking we're going to celebrate the Passover meal together. Right? And, and it was a celebration. The Passover meal was a joyous occasion. It was a festive occasion. It was a celebration of, of deliverance from slavery. It was a celebration of the faithfulness of God. It was, a, it was a joyous, happy occasion. And talk about a mood killer. When into the midst of that joyous occasion, Jesus drops this bomb. One of y'all are going to betray me. Now listen, we all know, or if you've studied much of the life of Jesus and his disciples, we all know that disciples tended to be a little thick, a little slow, catching on to some of the things that Jesus was teaching them. But even the disciples seem to grasp the significance of this statement that Jesus makes. It causes each one of them to do some sort of introspection of their own uh, life. 
and to say, oh, it can't be me. Surely it's not me. I, I wouldn't betray Jesus. Surely not I. And then comes that what I think may be one of the most tragic statements in, in all the Bible. In verse 21, when it says, for the Son of Man is to go just as it is written of him. I'm fulfilling prophecy. It's happening just as I said it would. But woe to that man by whom the Son of Man is betrayed. It would have been good for that man if he had not been born. Now, here we, here we come to this mysterious relationship between the sovereign will of God and the free will of man. Jesus was, as I said a moment ago, he was fulfilling the promises. He was fulfilling the prophecies. And, and he was heading for the cross exactly as he said he was going to. Remember, he'd been telling the disciples all the way up to Jerusalem, going up there, going to be betrayed into the hands of sinful men, going to be put to death. And somehow they, they kept missing it. But, but he knew why he had come up to Jerusalem. He knew what he was there for. He was fulfilling every single bit of it. As I said a moment ago, God is in complete control of the situation. But at the same time, Judas is making decisions of his own accord that put him on a collision course with eternal destruction, eternal damnation. Jesus says it would have been better for that man to have not been born. Now listen, that basically brings us two cold, hard realities that we need to look at based on Judas's demonstration. Listen, think about it, folks. Judas has been with Jesus for three, three and a half years. Here's the first cold, hard reality. The problem is not the head, but the heart. Some of you have heard me say that many times before. Think about it. Judas had been in Jesus' presence all that time. Judas had all of that teaching that Jesus had done. Judas had been there for every bit of it, essentially. Judas had seen Jesus change water into wine. Judas had seen Jesus walk on water. Judas had seen Jesus feed thousands with a handful of food. Judas had seen Jesus restore sight to the blind and cause the lame to walk. Judas had seen Jesus raise people from the dead. And it still wasn't enough. Do you understand what I'm getting at here? That, that it's not a head problem. Judas had all of the empirical evidence that his mind could take and then some. He had all the evidence that he could possibly want. It was literally staring him right in the face. But it wasn't enough for Judas. Why? Because it wasn't a head problem. He had all the evidence. It was a heart problem problem. It's always a heart problem. Listen, you and I uh, can and should be ready to uh, give uh, an answer for the hope that we have. As, as it says, First Peter uh, 3.15, you've read this text probably lots of times. Always be ready to tell everyone who asks you why you believe as you do. Be gentle as you speak and show respect. We, we should. There are people with genuine intellectual questions well, you know, okay, I, I know what you Christians believe. You, you say Jesus came back to life after three days. I don't know if you know this or not, but that's impossible. There are people with genuine intellectual questions, and we need to be ready to give people an answer of why do I believe what I believe? Is it just because that preacher guy stood up there and told me that, and I'm just supposed to believe it? I check my brains at the door, and, and he gives it to me, and I go out. And, why do I believe what I believe? We should, we should do that. We should be ready to... To speak to a person's head. But listen to me. While we're speaking to that person's head, we need to be praying for their heart. Because I promise you, in the end, it always comes back to a heart problem, not a head problem. The other cold, hard reality is this. 
the consequence is not temporal, but eternal. Listen, that's a reality that we have to face. The consequence is not temporal, it's eternal. Here's something to, to think about. Here's something to think about. Jesus' statement makes no sense if there are no eternal consequences, right? If there's no eternal consequences for Judas, then certainly it would have been better for Judas to be born and to, in his case, do whatever he wanted to do with those 30 pieces of silver that he betrayed Jesus for. But because there is a judgment to come, Hebrews 9, 27, and because the consequence of that judgment is eternal, Revelation chapter 20, verse 10, it, it literally would have been better for Judas had he not been born. But the choices that Judas made took him down this path of eternal damnation. And that's a cold, hard reality. And so the cold, hard reality then for us uh, means this. Judas' betrayal was based on his rejection of Christ. Ultimately, he rejected Christ as the Messiah. Therefore, everyone who rejects Christ also faces an eternal consequence. I mean, bottom line, that's what it means. Judas is the one that betrayed Jesus and put him on the cross. But my sin put him on the cross as well. And if I reject Jesus Christ as my atoning sacrifice, then I would naturally stand to get to receive that same eternal consequence as a result of my rejection of Christ. Do you, you understand what I'm saying? Do you, you see what this, what this means? There's an eternal consequence that every person ought to think about. Listen, I, those of you that know me know that I've always said that, that the knowledge of hell, the reality of hell, eternal consequences, I've always said that that is a, that's a poor motivator for, for loving and, and following God. I, sh- I should love and follow God because of who he is. It is that alone. He's simply worthy. I should love and follow God for what he has done for me. But to, to simply ignore the reality of hell is just plain stupid. And, and, and worse, the result is tragic. Now, one more, one more idea this morning. Jesus offers a grace invitation. Somebody say amen. Or everybody say amen. (laughs) It's a good place to say it. Jesus offers a grace invitation. Listen, verse uh, 22. Now, Now watch this. While they were eating, he took some bread, and after a blessing, he broke it and gave it to them and said, Take, eat, this is my body. And when he had taken a cup and given thanks, he gave it to them, and they all drank from it. And he said to them, This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many. Truly I say to you, I will never... Again, drank of the fruit of the vine until that day when I drank it new in the kingdom of God. Jesus offers a grace invitation as a result of of these elements that he takes out of the Passover meal. He takes some of the unleavened bread and he breaks it and he begins to distribute it to the disciples. And he takes the the wine, the fruit of the vine, and he passes the cup. He says, he says, drink, drink it. What is he, what is Jesus doing in all of this? Look at this. Here's what he's doing. He's giving us a picture of the provision. This, this bread, guys, this bread. See, that's my body. That's what's going to happen in just a little while. My body is going to be broken. My blood is going to be poured out. It's a, it's a picture of the provision. Now, let let me tell you something about this provision. Let, let, Let me, let me point something out to you. There's a common connection, and the common connection is our sin. Did you see what it said? They all partook. They all took the bread and ate it. They all took the fruit of the vine and, and, and drank it. By the way, Mark doesn't, doesn't pick up on this, but the other gospel writers tell us that 
Judas had left at this point. When the devil put it into his heart, he, he, he left. He's, he's out of there. He, he didn't participate in this, in this new thing that Jesus was bringing out of this old thing, the Passover meal. He was bringing in this, in, this, in this Lord's Supper. Judas wasn't there. But they all partook. They all ate. They all drank. It is, it is a common condition. And that common condition, ladies and gentlemen, is sin. I, I love you, but you're a sinner. I'm a sinner. We all have sinned and come short of the glory or the standard or the perfection of God. Every single one of us, from Billy Graham to your godly grandmother to, to you and me. But not only is there a common connection, which is our sin, there's a common cure, and it is his sacrifice. Yeah, come on. Yeah, I'd get excited about that. if I was just, It's his sacrifice. His body broken, his blood poured out. Jesus is saying, look, guys, this, I'm, I'm painting you a picture. The picture is of the provision that's going to be provided for you in just a little while. I know you're not, not going to understand this. I know you're going to freak out about this when they come for me in the garden. But here's the picture. It's a picture of my provision. And my sacrifice will be the common cure for what all ails all of us. From, from Jesus' disciples that night to, to everyone down through the ages. To those of us sitting in this room today. And for even for those outside. It's still the same that there is this common cure. And the cure is his sacrifice. But watch this. I, 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 just think, I just think this is cool. I like this. Not only is there this picture of the provision, but there also is a picture of the promise. Did you notice in verse 25? What is, what is I think it's verse 25. What does 20, 25 say? Truly I say to you, I will never again drink of the fruit of the vine until that day when I drank it new in the kingdom of God. The Lord's Supper, what, what you and I will participate in in a few moments, those of us that, that choose to do so. And it is a picture of his sacrifice, but it's also a picture of the promise. It's a picture of what he is yet to do. Jesus says, I, I will not partake of these elements. I will, not, I will not share me. I will not celebrate. I won't do that anymore until I do it anew in the what? In the kingdom. In the kingdom of God. It is a reminder. It is a promise that, that yes, Jesus did all of this for us, but Jesus is not done doing for us. That one day Jesus is going to come back. I have that on very good authority. Jesus is going to come back and he is going to establish his kingdom. And you and I, we're going to be with him for those of us who know Christ for eternity. It's not only about what he has done. It's about what he's still doing and completing his plan for our lives. Isn't that good news? Listen, those of you who have, have been to the cross, you understand what I mean by that? 2,000 years ago, Jesus offered this grace gift at the cross. If you have been there, if, you've, if you, by faith, have reached out and recognized your own sin and, and said, God, I believe that Jesus Christ is the only provision that I have for my life, the only hope that I have, then I would say to you today, come in a few moments, come and, and partake of these elements with a fresh appreciation for who God is and for what he has done in your life. Maybe a, a renewed appreciation for God and a renewed commitment to God for all that he has done for you. And if today you are here and you have not committed your life to Jesus Christ, you have not been to the cross. Wait a minute, Clay, the cross, isn't that something that happened 2,000 years ago? Yes, yes. Physically speaking, the cross is an event an historical event that took place 2,000 years ago. But the cross is still having its effect today for every person who would come, 
spiritually speaking, would come and face the cross and cry out to Jesus for their salvation. If it is the case that you find yourself here today and you have not yet made that decision, then the, the invitation is still, be extended, still being extended to you. The cross is still reaching to you. It's still saying, if you would, you could come. And my blood still covers and washes away sin. My body is still the sufficient sacrifice for your sin. We certainly hope that today's message has given you a new perspective and appreciation for the Lord's Supper. As Pastor Clay explained, there was no question that God was fully in control of the situation. God was fulfilling a promise He had made all the way back in the Garden of Eden. And God always keeps His promises. Also, we saw the fateful decision that Judas made to reject Jesus Christ as his Savior. As Pastor Clay pointed out, how tragic that Judas had all the evidence anyone could ever need, but his heart was hard and unwilling to bend his will to the Lord's. Jesus' statement that it would have been better if Judas had never been born should be a sobering reminder to all of us that there is an eternal consequence for all of those who reject Christ. It should motivate us to share the message of Jesus with those around us. We're also reminded in the story that the day will come when Jesus will once again share fellowship with those who are His. What a glorious time that will be, and what a great peace it should bring to our lives. The bread He broke that night and the wine that was poured out reminds us of so great a sacrifice that the Son of God made for His sons of men so the sons of men could become sons of God. What a great Savior. We're glad you joined us for this week's Crosswalk. Pastor Clay is the author of the book, I Get It, Discovering How to Really Live in the Promises of God. My prayer is that God would use it to help some people understand a few things about what it really takes to live in the promises of God. God wants you to live a life of peace and purpose and meaning and hope and fulfillment and contentment. He wants you to live a life without fear and without anxiety. Many people at some point in their lives feel disconnected with the type of life and faith that they read about in the Bible and what their lives look like on a daily basis. What is it that we're missing? What is it that we're not getting? If I'm not really living in the promises of God, why is that? That's what this book explores. I Get It is available online in electronic versions for the Nook and Kindle, as well as paperback form from Amazon.com. And ask for it by name at your favorite local bookstore. You can go in bookstores and just say, hey, uh, Have you got a book in here uh, entitled I Get It from Clay Stevens? They can order this book out of their catalogs that they get. Get your copy of I Get It today. Discover the promises of God and the steps you need to take to get it. And join us here each week online for another Crosswalk message. God has invited us to know Him through His Word, the Bible, a perfect record of God's revelation to man and applicable for every area of our lives. And if you're in the Raleigh area, we invite you to be a part of cross-culture worship. We meet at 1030 every Sunday morning at the Leesville Road High School, a mile and a half south of I-540, exit 7. We're a church, but instead of religion, we're about relationships. And instead of rituals, we practice realness. Our desire is to be used by God to show people that a life built on the finished work of Christ on the cross is where you'll find what you're looking for. I'm not the water, I'm not the bread, but I know the place where your soul is fed. So hungry and thirsty, come and be blessed. I want to lead you to the cross.
Cross Culture Church, taking the cross to our culture and taking our culture to the cross. Visit us online at crossculturelife.org.